Hello and welcome to A Decade Apart. Hi, I'm Calvin. And I'm Tim. And we are two brothers who have a passion for politics and tech. And that's what we essentially spend 45 minutes to 50 minutes talking about. Last week we had a show about Bitcoin. Calvin, what did you think of the show? Um, yeah, I thought it, went, thought it went really well. Got a lot of positive feedback. Um, yeah, I think people sort of had an idea of what it was and its value, but they didn't really know the intricacies about how it operates. So yeah, they got a lot out of the podcast. Exactly. I mean, I, I listened to the show back and I sort of felt like we could have done a little bit more, but then we kept to a time limit, which was about 50 minutes, and uh, we sort of stayed with that. So that's good. Of course, you could talk forever about these things. But um, as a starter, I think I, th- I think we covered the basics. Um, yeah. Just want to give people a reminder that we are on decadeapart.com. And Calvin, we now have a Twitter account, right? We do. It's um, actually not too sure what the Twitter handle is. <laughs> I just know it's a decade apart. <laughs> But I don't know if there's anything else to it. So it turns out if you Google Decade Apart, you'll find uh, lots of information about a band in America called A Decade Apart. Um, But what you're actually looking for on Twitter is Decade Apart Pod. So D-E-C-A-D-E-A-P-A-R-T-P-O-D. Decade Apart Pod. Uh, And that's on Twitter. We have all but six followers. It's amazing, isn't it, Calvin? Yeah, I know. I do not follow it. You don't follow it? No, I'm joking. Right I did. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Showing oh, support. I thought you did. Exactly, exactly. We have all but six followers. It's amazing. We are literally going to uh, revolutionize the world with that amount of followers. Um, but I bet you those followers are loyal. No less that two of them are us. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, three of them are us because I'm following via two accounts. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> we currently make up 50% of the Decade Apart fan base. Who are the other three? Um, uh, one of my colleagues from Accenture and uh, a cool guy called Dave is actually a boyfriend of a friend of mine in Amsterdam. So that's yeah. mad. I know our fan base inside out. I got it covered. This month we'll <laughs> get to ten followers. We'll be fine. <laughs> okay, cool stuff. Cool stuff. Um, so yeah, reach out on our website and now Twitter. Uh, say hello. Obviously, we're going to start using the Twitter account more, so we'll ask for feedback through there. Today's topic is about Brexit. Calvin, we initiated Article 50. I say we, uh, the UK, United Kingdom, initiated Article 50. If it was my choice, I would have never done it. Yeah, but, so uh, you um, you voted Remain, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Um, if you're listening outside of the UK or uh, outside of EU, um, you will maybe have heard of a term called Brexit. Brexit is essentially the process by which the UK initiated a referendum and the result of that referendum was that the uh, the mass voted in favour of leaving the European Union. So what's been happening over the last six months is people have been essentially figuring out what that actually means. And uh, this week just gone, Theresa May, the UK Prime Minister, initiated um, Brexit by implementing this um, notion, Article 50, which is basically the process by which a country starts to leave the EU, right? Yeah, it's um, exactly. It's a divisive topic. I mean, I've been wanting to talk about it for months now, okay. so I'm just happy to um, finally get the opportunity to. Exactly, exactly. But we're not just going to talk about Brexit. We're going to bring it to tech because that is my passion. So I'm going to make us stick on the impact that it has on technology, both as a concept, but also as a sector. So the technology sector is quite a big one in the UK. Um, the digital economy is is growing. But we also didn't want to just talk about the, you know, the traditional sort of side of government, i.e. Uh, sectors contribute to a certain amount of GDP. We also want to talk about technology as a conceptual 
thing in government. And so we'll get onto that in a bit, little bit. So this topic is going to be quite big. So I think the way we'll do this, Calvin, is let's talk about uh, tech as a concept first. Okay. And then we'll cover technology sector maybe towards the end of the podcast where we can sort of flesh out some of the thinking that's been going on. Okay? Sure, so sounds over good. Over to you, mate. Over to you. So let's talk about tech as a concept. Yeah, so I guess I remember it was 23rd of June that yeah. voting happened and then the result came the next day. And I just, it was a day leaving university for first year. And I just woke up, saw the result and I was like, what the actual fuck is like, you were- <laughs> just happened. <laughs> like hung, hung over from the last night out, woke up, opened my laptop screen, massive banner, UK has voted to leave the EU, just went back to sleep. I was like, this is not okay. This was your first day to uni? No, this is um last day. Oh, last day at the first year of uni. Yeah, last day of the first year. Hey, that's a tongue twister, but okay. <laughs> and um, yeah, I've just because I voted Remain and I was quite a strong Remainer at the time. But I think okay. I've sort of laxed on my opinion of it. I think to me, the debate always seemed to be centered around the facts, you know, how the economy is going to do, how a job sector is going to do, et cetera, et cetera. And that's really what um, both sides try to pinpoint, especially with um, immigration and how our membership in the single market and the free movement of people affected our high immigration levels. But yeah. I think I was quite entertained by the idea of sort of using the concepts which people like Farage were appealing to and sort of having those as the base ideas of why the vote turned out to be what it was. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that led me to look at this idea sort of about a tech technocracy so in detail or in its simplest form a technocracy is where you have the smartest people in your society in positions of power in government so it would be essentially if you had like engineers uh doctors for example yeah biomedicalists having those people pretty much being prime minister foreign secretary etc etc that that's it and it's like explicit literal mean but i think what it's come to me now is sort of the development of globalization and technological companies gaining more powers transnationally to the point where they're able to influence labor market forces and just sort of change the way which us citizens perceive the world and interact with each other yeah and change it in such a way where government doesn't really have the ability to intercept that process anymore Okay. So the best example I could sort of give, you could take it back to when Henry Ford had just set up Ford Motors Company. Yeah. And he set up the whole process of division of labor, high, not high wages, but relatively high wages so that, you know, people would be incentivized to go to work. And even though that was still him at the forefront of the technological frontier, government could still intervene in that process if it wanted to. You know, it could still offer employment rights, etc. But I think now it's getting to the stage of globalization, sort of where technological companies or just companies in general will decide in a certain way of doing things, similar to Uber and the way they offer taxi services in comparison to black cabs. Yeah. And regulation can't catch up with it. It sort of seems that like when the government actually realizes what's going on, it's already too late because the process has been happening for two, two or three years. Yeah. And it's yeah. been established enough to the point where no one wants to go back to the old system. 
exactly, exactly. So to bring back to Brexit, for me, it sort of seemed to be a vote of people not thinking about this when they went into the booth, but wanting to go back to a system of life where the government could intervene in societal forces and stop yeah. it and possibly revert it. And yeah. I think, to me, that's what the vote symbolised. I mean, I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, OK, I sort of let you you run away with that point because I, I think I think you, you pretty much summarised a tone that's never really covered much, not even in mainstream media. And, and that is this general concept that, let's say, over the last 20 years, um, the need for a government in its traditional sense has been eroded away by the ability for people to use technology um, to capitalise on things like network effects, communication, uh, business, uh, transactions. We're relying less and less and less on the security that the government provides to do those things and relying more and more and more on uh, technology companies to innovate that space and lead the boundary. Uh, if you go back 20 years, uh, these kind of businesses were owned by governments. You know, British Telecom was owned by the government, you know. Uh, and it's funny to think that now in the modern world, that's no longer the case. You know, you know, if I wanted, if you and I wanted to, we could convince someone to give us enough money to do this. We could start our own technological company with our own communication infrastructure. And just like Facebook, Google or Apple, get people to use our services and by, by, by nature of doing that, become a really influential player in the kind of information that people get and the way that people make decisions so i think i think you're absolutely right and regulation has failed to sort of not necessarily keep up i don't think the issue is about keeping up i think it's it's about making the right policy decisions and because uh, of a point you made actually uh, a few podcasts back where because government is interested in the short-term goals, the short-term benefits of, uh, you know, power, basically. How can I get into office in the next five years, in the next 10 years? Exactly. They, they don't have enough of a long view, which these technology, technology companies do have. Some of those CEOs have been in, in their, you know, running the ship for 10, 10, 15 years. If you look at companies like IBM, even Apple, even Google, they've had the same leadership at the helm driving direction and innovation for such a long time that they've achieved this this success at a scale that is unimaginable if you if you if you go back 15 20 years yeah so, do, you, do you think that um that whole idea of those companies sort of encouraging and breaking barriers in terms of technological achievements do you think it's right necessarily that they sort of taken the mantle from government in that way or do you think so, that both sides just need to adapt to it so I think I don't think there's anything wrong with what's happened so far. Now the problem is is that it's been done in a capitalist context, right? Yeah. Even even advertising, even social media today, it works exactly like capitalism. And obviously capitalism has its flaws. So they are winners and they are unfortunately losers. Even in a even if you're accessing a free service like Gmail, uh, you can be a loser as a customer because ultimately because it's free, you lose out because you have to let Google, for example, read your emails. Uh, if you want to use Facebook, uh, well, you have to allow Facebook to share your photos, share your metadata and scrape your network connections and, and sell that on to third parties and marketeers so that they can make money. That, that's the winning and the losing. And people don't think about it like that. But that is the capitalist nature of, of how everything's been set up. Where you need government to intervene is to basically uh, stop certain aspects of those capitalist forces becoming too powerful because once you go over a certain 
certain crest of the hill um these things start to become destructive they just it's like a perpetual motor it just keeps going until it just annihilates itself uh, and when it, when it annihilates itself everyone loses out so government still has a role to play but i think they need to be a little bit more savvy about when they intervene and how they intervene and at the moment i i sort of get the sense of just sitting back and then just letting this all happen um, and if, if we bring it back to Brexit, I think the critical thing here is that uh, I don't think I don't think government truly has this understanding. I think we're thinking of a, a Brexit from the perspective of migration uh, and business, you know, you know, hard physical things. And no one is really clocking onto the fact that actually, especially within Europe, most of the business we're talking about happens in the digital space. If yeah. I want to buy something from uh, some guy in Europe. I don't do it over the phone. I do it over the internet. Any any transaction I take, even if sending an email, it happens over the digital space. Pretty much everything we do in society today happens through a digital medium, whether it's a telephone line, a fiber optic line, or an email, or some sort of third-party service like uh, you know eBay, WhatsApp, PayPal. These things are happening through data centers in a digital space. And I don't think people realize that. Well, so you sort of think that topics like immigration job losses to sort of surface issue because i'm sort yeah, exactly. of i'm of the opinion that i think people who voted to leave i think the majority like 90 to 95 percent did it with the intention that it would bring better outcomes in the future but i think to me the sad reality is that we'll be out of the eu but the, the same problems will still persist you'll still have new companies like Uber and different sectors manipulating workers and paying exactly. below the minimum wage. You'll yeah. still have governments which won't be necessarily actually looking in the long term, but they'll be always looking in the short term. I think yeah. it's, it's again another issue which is dressing over the cracks, which is just, it's quite sad from my perspective. Because like, personally, I'm, I always considered the idea of going into politics, but it always seemed like a job which is too big to fix and in the con <laughs> and in the context of you always need to be thinking about retaining power and then getting power in the future you can never really do the crucial job which in your heart you want to do because it's always being constrained by a thing which doesn't even matter yeah 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 and i think this is why um i mean i've uh, I've, I've watched a couple of uh TED Talks is by no means uh, an academic uh, way of going about things. But I've watched a couple of TED Talks that, that talk about this interesting concept of actually breaking up government. Because it's so big, that is the only interest that it can have. However, if you if you look at the concept of maybe getting rid of government and having a lot of mayorship, so imagine breaking the UK up into several uh, large uh, areas which all had their own mayor. Um, and they all have the same sort of, you know, um, period in office. But because, you, because you've broken up the, the UK into a much, much um, sort of smaller chunks, each mayor can better look out for the interests of their constituents. And better yet, um, each mayor can work with another mayor of another part of the country to better bring about sort of the collaborative nature, that, nature and the way things should happen when you're sort of planning. I think sometimes government can, can't help but, you know, only perpetuate what's going on, i.e. super cities, uh, you know, creating a rail link between Manchester and London is only going to make Manchester and London even bigger cities. It's not going to help the areas, you know, around, around Manchester and around London, you know. So, these these things are only going to be made worse, I think, by the way that the, the way that traditional sort of 
uh, politics happened. True, but even even your example there of um the train link from Manchester to London, like you said before, like just because I can maybe get to London from Manchester in, in half the time or even a quarter of the time, that's irrelevant from the fact that because of technology and the fact that I can do my work in a digital space, yeah, like I don't need to take the train anymore. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And, and yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're sort of going into what we plan to do in part two of the show, but I think, I think that is the fundamental misunderstanding. I think, I think it is valid to, to assume that, you know, majority of the people still get on a train, go to work every single day. Uh, I, I go to work, I go to an office and that is how business is done. But it's funny because every Friday I don't go to my, to my office. I work from home or I work from a London office and I'm not actually with a client, but yeah, I'm still doing work for the client and I'm still delivering, um, sort of uh, productivity and output for that organization. And in some organizations, that, that concept is much, much further down the line. In fact, in some organization, it's the exact opposite. You work from home most of the time and you only travel into the office if you need a meeting space or you need to meet the client face to face. And I think business still does need to be done face to face. But if, yeah. you, if you go back to this concept of Brexit, I mean, we're focusing a lot on, on transportation at the moment. But if you go back to the, the whole digital space and you, you think about how is GDP, which is, I guess, I guess the most important thing here, productivity and national output, right? How is most of that delivered today? If you're telling me people can go to work and not switch on a computer or a digital system of some sort and still be productive, I think you're living in a completely strange world. And it's funny that in all of the, in all of the championing and everything we've been talking about, you've heard about the NHS, you've heard about education, you've heard about migration, you've heard about everything but you haven't heard about technology yeah you just haven't heard anything about that uh, now that's not to say the conversation isn't happening it is happening but it's not what people are focusing they're focusing on surface level issues but it's all driven by technology i don't think i'm going too far by saying that no i mean i guess the other areas would be more important because they're possibly more emotional in their arguments i mean i think yes I think all the arguments about whether you want to remain or stay is emotional to some extent because it yes. goes back to the idea of how you want your society to be governed and how you want the life you live to be processed. Do you, do you mind trading off some sovereignty for the fact that you can move somewhere easily or that it's just easier to trade within your company or is that idea of sovereignty and absolute control even though it may not be going towards, say, a larger vision with another set yeah. of nations, is that idea of having solidity and just being closed off, but knowing that everything within your borders is in your own hands, if that's important enough to where you maybe trade off higher unemployment or more inflation, then to me, that's, that's an idea I can understand okay. and even respect to some level because you're not trying to make a fabrication of what the outcome will be. You'll be, you're being real about it and you're saying like, look, the outcome may be harsher, but I think it's worth it because you're advancing a higher principle. Yeah. 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 And I, I think, I think that's the, that's going to be the interesting over the next two years. Um, I think there's some really exciting work happening to make sure that these things are preserved. Um, but uh, you know, I still think, I still think, and maybe it's just me, me and you, because, you know, we're, 
we're from this millennial era. Everything we do is driven by technology. Um, and, you know, there is a large part of the economy that is professional services and professional services aren't done for you uh, by technology. They're enhanced by technology. So you still need the intellectual uh, capacity of people to apply their thinking and, and ability to something um, and technology only enhances it. So it's still important to protect the interests of of that particular, you know, capability. However, um, I, unless you unless you're reading a technology focused uh, journal or, uh, or looking at like I don't know, like a tech website, you never you don't just hear like you just don't hear the media talking about how 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 the technology sector or how technology um, in this Brexit world is going to be. Um, stewarded. I'm going to use stewarded because that sort of feels like the right word, right? Yeah, steward. steward. Right? <laughs> <laughs> a steward. Yeah, I guess the first thing that comes to your mind is uh, steward at uni, mate. Right? Yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what we're both thinking. <laughs> yeah, but post uni world, steward is a little bit more mature, you know. And and I guess that is exactly what needs to be happened. Um, these things need to be stewarded uh, into the right direction. So. Um, do you have anything else to add to that? No, I think um, we should probably just talk a little bit about the actual effects that Brexit will have on the technology industry in the UK and maybe the ideal plan for the technology industry in the UK to actually flourish and continue to flourish into the future. Exactly, exactly. So let, let, let's dig into that a little bit. Um, there's, a, there's an organization called Tech UK. Okay, I'm just going to give them a shout out. TechUK.org. They're, they're really cool. So basically, they're a, I'm going to call them, they're a sort of a group that's charged generally by the technology industry in the UK to look out for the interests of technology companies. Okay, um, And they've done some really, really interesting work as to the impacts of, of Brexit on the technology as a sector and also the associated thinking around that. So definitely check them out. Um, one of the things they've done is they've highlighted some of, some of the key issues uh, that you know Brexit poses, and I'm just going to summarise them and let let's them maybe then go through them one okay. by one. So um, the first issue they talk about is transitioning deals and business certainty. I think that applies to all uh, Brexit sort of topics at the moment. Um, the second is about access to the single market. Uh, and especially a concept about a, a digital single market, which is which is quite an interesting concept. We'll come to that in a second. The third is free flow of data. So we were just talking about how technology enables a lot of things, and they're talking about making sure data information literally travels through your fiber optic line to another country in the world without there being an issue. We'll come to that uh, okay. later. Uh, there's access to skills and talent. So this is about employability, uh, people, uh, the people, people capital, basically, that drives this innovation in the technology industry. Um, innovation and scaling up innovation. Uh, so this, is, this is mostly about startups and how uh, that's going to continue to be supported in the future. And then they talk about the impact of regulatory divergence. So the fact that we've been in the EU, everything's been aligned nicely across a very, very big big geographical area now because we're coming out of the eu we don't have that legal framework and so the bureaucracy and regulation is going to have to be created from scratch and it might just end up being a very different regulation to what was there before okay right uh, so those uh, those are the six one obviously uh, there's there's the general issue about the global sort of impacts so international trade um in, in the form of technology but you know just the impact 
uh, Brexit has on the world, given that London is actually quite an important technology centre. So um, does, does that summarise it for you? Is, that, is there anything else you want to add to those points? Um, no, I think you hit the nail on the head, especially when talking about our relationship to the single market. And that idea of a digital single market sounds quite interesting. Exactly, I'm, exactly. I'm, not sure, I'm not sure what you mean by that. Okay, cool. So we'll dig into that in a second. So let, let's start right from the top. Okay, so uh, tr- um, business certainty and transitional deals. I think this goes without saying, right? Um, between now and the two-year deadline, which is, I think it's less than two years now, obviously, because it's triggered yeah. on Wednesday. Uh, but we've got roughly two years to figure out what's going to ha- happen. And between now and then, there needs to be some sort of transitional understanding about what's going to happen uh, across all businesses. Uh, and that needs to be done to create business certainty so that technology companies, all companies really, can plan uh, for the future and, 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 and start to make long-term decisions because they are long-term uh, kind of organizations. If you've got a tech startup that's got seed funding and you've got this uh, three-year vision about how you're going to achieve something, you'd hate to want to plan something and then realize that this Brexit is going to actually completely scupper your plans in the third year where you're going to hopefully go for a second round of funding. So uh, I think that's really important. Do you, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I don't know how much certainty people can expect from the government. Like it's, it sort of seems to me that a lot of people are wanting Theresa May and her um, negotiating team to pretty much tell us, which de facto tells everyone else, okay, this is what we're going to bargain for. We will come out with this, which they're obviously not going to do because that's the worst thing you could ever do in a negotiating process. So I think the negative impact of that is that it forces businesses to prepare for the worst case scenario and not go for the best case scenario in the, in the sense that if the best case scenario doesn't happen and they've only planned for that, they'll get shafted in the long term. So I think the sad thing is that it may push definitely technology businesses as well sort of take the route of possibly leaving the UK in the anticipation of where, okay, if they get a bad deal, it's fine, we've already left. If by some chance they get a good deal, it's okay because we've planned for the worst case and we're still happy with that path. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think that's, yeah, that's a really, really, I guess it's 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 a big unknown at the moment. I feel like this whole Brexit in general is just basically... Uh, stumbling in the dark one foot after the other until you sort of hit something and you just hope that that's something that you hit isn't like, I don't know, a fridge door or something is going to smack you in the face and knock you over. <laughs> <laughs> that's a stark way to put it. <laughs> and that's what it seems like every day in, in the media, you know, government, it sort of feels like someone says something and then everyone moves forward one step. Uh, someone says something else everyone moves forward back or one step you know no one really knows i don't think i don't think anyone knows and it's funny because someone should have a vague idea of what's going to happen but you can tell just by how quickly the headlines are changing the fact that everything is a breaking news yeah. and everything is a headline <laughs> just highlights that, that no one actually has a clue because if they had a clue they'd know what's important and what's not every so. development deserves like five reporters swarm in at the scene for like one MP statement and it's like, oh my God, maybe this will tell us what the deal is. And it's just like... Yeah, exactly. Today, Gibraltar's the headline. Tomorrow, it'll be something else. <laughs> <laughs> right, so we move okay. to um, issue two. Yeah, yes, yes. So this is talks about access to the single market. And I think in broad terms, this is again another very generic uh, thing that people need 
Um, now, let's be realistic. I think there's there's a lot of chat about whether this will or won't happen. So let's not go into that. Okay. However, let's assume it's going to happen. Okay. Um, why is it? Why is access to the single market important? Well, from an economic sense, I mean, for us as a nation, and then the nations already in the EU trading bloc, having trade take place where there are no barriers, there's no tariffs. You have the free movement of not only human capital, but physical capital resources as well. And then I, exactly. I guess you could add in digital capital into that conversation, which is why it becomes digital single market, even though I'm not quite yep. sure what that is yet. But Absolutely. When you have just the free-flowing exchange of goods and services between different nations, it only results in a good outcome. I mean, obviously, then you need regulating bodies and laws to make sure that employment rights are protected but overall yeah. i think it's a better better system of doing things than one where everyone is boarded off and tariffs are in place yeah yeah and i think uh, you touched on this uh, digital single market and we we talked about it a little bit earlier on and i guess i guess to, to to really summarize this i have to sort of step out of politics and talk a little bit about a technological concept called network effects um essentially the, the, this theory talks about the way in which uh, systems and processes, uh, especially in a technological sense, um, benefit from having more and more people as being part of the same system, okay? So imagine, uh, let's let's just break it down. So imagine I have a phone and you have a phone, okay? Okay. Yeah. How many people can I call? Just one. Well, exactly. two, but exactly. there's no reason calling yourself. Exactly. It would never work, right? Yeah. Okay. So now let's... Uh, add a third person to that. Now, how many people can I call? Two. Okay, great. Uh, and a fourth person? Three. And then so okay. on and so on. Exactly, exactly. Now, now this is this is where the concept gets interesting because it, it's obvious. If you have a million people that have a phone, I can now call a million people. It's almost very linear growth. The more people you add on, the more people I can reach. Okay? Yeah. But then let's step back and look at this from a holistic point of view. When we have... You have a phone and I have a phone. There can only be one connection made, right? Yeah. You and me or me and you. It's the same It's the same connection. When you add three people, three connections can be made. Yeah. Okay? When you add four people, how many connections can be made? Uh, my math's not good. Twelve. Twelve. Yeah? Four by three. So if, if four people can each make connections to three other people, and then, that's yeah. twelve, right? Okay, so you, you started to see how this very quickly starts to scale. Yeah. Yeah. When you multiply that 100 and then 1,000 and a million, suddenly the number of connections you make can are possible far, far outweigh the, the number of people that exist on the planet. Okay. And by voting ourselves out of the EU, we basically cut off a connection that can possibly help our economy but also help the global economy, okay? Yeah. And so that, uh, so if we come back to this idea of a digital single market, because digital technology in particular takes advantage of this, like virtually every startup, virtually every technology company that's ever existed on this planet has relied on this concept to grow, okay? If you take Facebook, if you take Google, all of these uh, systems, even Monzo we were talking about last week, how did you get access? Because you talked to me about it and you already exactly. had access. Exactly. And then what happened once you got it? I loved it and then got one of my other friends to start using it. And then exactly. he's probably exactly. going to convince other people to use it as well. Exactly. And do you know what's even better once uh, that happens five or six times? No. 
we're probably all on the same systems and guess what we can start talking to each other on the system right so the, the experience gets better for me as i encourage more people around me to use it and the more people around me that use it the more i lock into that service and so that's the reason why Monza uh, do the invites that way. There's a six-month waiting list, but if you know someone, you can get straight in. Because if you get straight in, they know that there's immediate value for you there. Whereas if you just come in on a waiting list, you're coming in on your own, right? Yeah. Exactly. So that, that's that's the idea of network effects. And if you go to a digital market, this idea of a digital single market is really, really important. Because if, let's say, I want to buy something on eBay okay. from uh, someone in Italy... Just think about the impact that has, okay? So let's say, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen with uh, customs and so on and so forth. But let's just think about that concept in general. Imagine if there was a, a, a trade barrier that meant that I can do business with people on eBay from uh, countries outside of the UK because the EU put up some sort of barrier and they, they put a sort of stipulation and some legal framework around eBay that meant that they had to handle my transactions in a completely different way to the way EU transactions were, were handled. It would totally cause havoc, right? Yeah. And this is, this is where sort of the digital single market comes in. It's this idea that um, you sort of create a framework whereby you don't have a, a trade, a single market maybe, but you allow information and transactions and those kind of goods to just travel freely because it's in the interest of both uh, parties for that to continue to happen. Uh, UK has a lot of people who have a propensity to spend. They have a lot of professional services to offer. Likewise, in the EU, there are lots of goods being made, lots of cars, lots of lots of different types of goods. It's a much bigger geographical framework. Um, English love uh, traveling abroad. They love to go to European cities. Likewise, um, Europeans love to come to the UK and London and spend money on, on really premium goods. There's a benefit on either side, okay? And you want to maintain the digital connections that perpetuate that capability and so that's basically what the digital single market is about but more broadly the single market as you as you described yeah um this this goes nicely on to the third issue which is a free flow of data okay so i mean have you thought about this at all i mean is that linked to that idea of the way so it's is it linked to the digital single market yes it I, is it is because i don't see because to me that sort of seems like something which would be untouched out of all okay. of this fallout. Okay, so that, that is a very wise assumption to make, but it's one that you have to think about a little bit and actually work through. So what do we mean by free flow of data? Now, data can be virtually anything these days. It's ones and zeros down your telephone line, but what that information represents is completely, can be anything. I think pretty much most of what we do today is being digitized. Cars are being automated. They have, they carry lots of data. Your health records uh, being digitized and turned into data. And so this concept about the free flow of data is basically about making sure that information transfer remains, uh, that sort of the, the integrity we have today is maintained. So let me give you some background, okay? Um, a data center is basically a building filled with lots of computers, okay? And uh, that is basically where most of the world's online stuff happens. So when you go on Facebook on your phone, your phone is basically reaching out to the Facebook data center and the data center, there's, these are located in, in multiple areas. For, for technological reasons I won't go into, there's multiple ones in every country and there's multiple ones around the world. So you might hear about the Facebook data center or the Apple data center and Google data centers. They have hundreds of these around the world. 
And that's partly because they want to uh, maintain business continuity so that if one data center goes down or there's, a, there's an attack on one of them, your information doesn't just magically disappear. Yeah, okay? of course. And, and the UK has about 500 data centers. Uh, they're, they're, they're things that you will never see, honestly. These are the most hidden, cloak and daggered <laughs> buildings in the world because it's, you don't want to advertise that this is where information is kept. Okay. Yeah. So if you go online and you look at Google, you look at Facebook and look at the security that goes on behind these data centers. These are these are, these are probably more secure than prisons, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> like if you if you're if you're Visa, Mastercard handling transactions, you don't want the wrong person to get into your data center, right? Yeah, so these like things are the implications of a breach or even just the destruction of those computers like you wouldn't, you can't even begin to think about not only the implications of the value of the company, but then the type yep. of data which has been stolen as well. Exactly, exactly. So for some context, the UK has about 500. A third are co-located, so companies sharing basically a data yeah. center. Uh, another third are cl uh, for cloud-based companies, your IBMs, your Googles, your Facebook. And another third are in-house corporate data centers. So imagine a bank, for example, they might have multiple data centers to store customer information and transaction data, okay? And uh, everything you do, so banking, shopping, socializing, online, offline, all of these things are driven by data centers. If you create a calendar invite and send it, it goes to a data center. If you go on Facebook, you're hitting a data center. If I uh, fill my car up and it needs a service and the computer in my car is talking to some sort of cloud-based internet service, it's hitting a data center. Everything hits a data center. And to give you some hard figures, Data centers contribute to about 10% of the UK's GDP. Did you know that? 10%? 10%. Like 10% of the UK's GDP goes through data centers. Oh, okay, goes through it, right. Yep, yep. And it estimated to contribute roughly $225 billion to our economy. That's no small number. <laughs> so, that, okay, so yeah, you've established how the data centers contribute. So how do you think our relationship with the EU would alter that so, dynamic if we, say, just left. Okay, so this is, this is where things get interesting. London is the world's second largest data center city, okay? It's only beaten by one city in America. In the world? So just, in the world. Just think about that. Yes, London. <laughs> And it accounts for roughly, um, I think in, in terms of Europe, it accounts for roughly nearly half of something called tier one uh, data centers. So basically tier one data centers are, um, it's uh, basically think of it as level. So level one is basic, level two is, is a more advanced, level three is more advanced, and level four is like the top tier, right? So London currently accounts 43% of the tier one data center infrastructure capacity in europe okay yeah? so tier one is essentially level four if that makes sense no tier one is level is, is level one okay it's, so it's, it's the lower tier it's the lower but tier. it's but it's basically where all the innovation happens because that's where you start and as things become more business continuity and more developed they move over to tier two tier three tier four right so all the innovations happen in tier one that's where you test stuff, you break stuff, and when you discover a, a, an idea, it then shifts to tier two, tier three, tier four. So your Amazon, your Googles, they run on tier four. Lots yeah. of different things. But a startup in London, they're probably hiring lots of tier one services. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay, so it's really, really important. And the biggest sort of uh, data center cities are London, Frankfurt, Amsterdam, and Paris. And London is top. So one thing that could happen out of this whole Brexit thing is the sort of this imbalance could happen where the EU decides to sort of shift that power out of the UK and into one of the European cities that's part of the EU. Because uh, organizations and businesses, believe it or not, are impacted by this policy. So have you heard of the safe harbor uh, um uh, policies in uh, in America. No, I haven't. Okay, so basically, if I use Google and I store my information on Google servers in America or a company that's uh, an American company, sorry, the American government has the right to request my information. Okay. okay. So that means if I'm a UK business and I have uh, data privacy policies that prevent me from using services like Google because Google is an American company suddenly it starts to get very, very interesting, right? So uh, one of the things that Google and Amazon all do, they have uh, Irish data centers. So the data centers stay in Ireland, and therefore the American governments can't request information because that data is physically located in a European city. So that's actually an EU regulation that requires organizations in the EU to make sure that their data is not stored on on servers in American companies in American uh, uh, geography. That um okay. tie back to that whole story of when the FBI asked Apple to retrieve the um password on that. Yeah, it phone. does. It does. Yeah. It does. It does. That 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 essentially can happen if if you are storing your data. So the whole data center and the f- the free flow of data is really really important because if any barriers and tariffs sort of interfere with that not just that the the flow of data but also the infrastructure you know you've got to remember the data center is just a room full of tons and tons of servers and machines and uh, they all store information they're all doing their own thing but if you start to change the balance in which those computers communicate to each other you can start to disrupt the way that you know the whole global infrastructure works and the only reason london is number two because it moved very very quickly and early on it benefited for first move advantage basically okay and that's how it became this sort of world global global sort of powerhouse in terms of data and information so tons and tons of web services flow their data through london uh, there are other data centers around the uk but london is by far the biggest one and uh, the reason London as well is because it's close to the city and some of these web services, some of these, if you're doing like financial trading, um, geography really matters because if your transaction takes a nanosecond longer than another transaction to happen, you've lost the deal. So um, geolocation of these things as well as what's in those services is really, really important. So uh, moving forward in Brexit, I think that's going to be an interesting thing because if the EU decides to put up barriers that block UK data centers from benefiting from uh, you know access to certain things that EU data centers will then have, businesses have got to totally rethink their, their, their infrastructure. And that's going to cost a lot of money and a lot of time. So yeah, that'll be quite big in the sense that you'll have a lot of startup companies who may have considered setting up base in London to have yep. to go outside. Yeah, that's, that's quite a big one. See, I think, again, that comes back to what you said earlier. There are a lot of, like, key long-term issues which have just gone completely under the radar. In fact, these are the type of issues which will determine the performance of like how a country does. Exactly, exactly. It's really, really, really key. Okay, um, let's have a look at the next one. Uh, access to skills and talent. Do you want to talk a bit about this? Yeah, so I guess this um, just talk links back to the idea of the single market and the free movement of labour and London currently being an attractive place not only to start up a business but 
move a business to because you know you'll be able to attract the highest quality of talent throughout Europe and throughout the world as well. But throughout the world, there are more restrictions because we're not part of a trading block with the rest of the exactly. world. So exactly. I think to me, I mean, we didn't talk about whether it will happen or not in terms of leaving the single market. I just can't, I can't see a scenario where we stay in the single market. Yeah. In the yeah. sense that I think, although I don't think it's necessarily what drove the majority of the vote, I think a lot of the narrative have been scripted in the sense where levels of immigration and the way people move between our country and the rest of the EU has been portrayed as the reason why we left. Yeah. And I think in that case, and the EU negotiators will know that, and Theresa May definitely knows that because she still wants to be prime minister because it's all about power. <laughs> There'll be no way in which I can never, I cannot see her coming out of number 10 and being like, we have negotiated to stay in the single market and maintain free movement of people. Like, cause I think for a lot of people, that is the EU, even though it's ludicrous because yeah. the EU as an institution is so much more, but yeah, yeah. I think another thing to highlight with uh, access to skill and talent is that in technology industry, 45% uh, are migrants from the EU. So unlike any other sector, sort of the tech sector relies on migration big time. So that is going to be a real curveball. Uh, and you could find a lot of technology companies based in the UK, based in London, based in other cities uh, around the UK, really struggling to attract talent because uh, that free flow of people is being interfered with. Yeah, I mean, because I don't know the details about how hard it is to, say, get someone who's outside of the EU to come work in London in comparison with someone who is in the EU, but it must be enough of a hassle to where staying in a single market is such a big issue. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, issue five and issue six, these are, these are I guess... Um, these again these are pretty common but issue five is about innovation and scale up of britain this is referring to startups essentially being able to access finance being able to access support um, one of the interesting things is the eu had a lot of grants that were available to european uh, members so i could be a startup based in london but i could apply to the eu for a grant and that money would be funded by lots of different countries um, when we leave the EU, you might find that not longer being the case. And if I want to start a new company, I'll maybe have to locate myself in Europe to, in order to take advantage of those bigger pots of money that are available because more countries are contributing to it. Yeah, it's, um, I guess it just links back to uh, what we were discussing earlier with access to talent as well as the flow of data, how you need to just generate an environment where startups have the best yeah. opportunity to succeed and flourish. Yeah. And then I think, cause at the end of the day, you want startups to then trigger more startups in that industry. And then you have the service industry below that startup and above that startup. And that gets um, a flow over to where there's more employment in other sectors. So. Of course, one other issue, financial one is actually quite important because some startups have already received money from the EU. And so the Treasury is actually guaranteed that this money will continue to flow even after we leave the EU. But what's not clear is how much money the government's actually going to put aside in order to fund these kind of initiatives. London is a big startup technology hub. 
because it's it's been allowed to flourish and even we had even news of David Cameron supposedly telling people to calm down Boris Johnson sorry to calm down over Uber uh, because Uber was a very big player in the in the in the London tech startup scene um, and uh, apparently David Cameron was, was quite supportive of that industry uh, playing a large a much larger role so I think it's I think it's really interesting that you know people really need to think about this because this possibly holds the biggest potential for growth yeah. over any sector because most other sectors have become really saturated in terms of the business and the innovation that can happen whereas tech is a completely new sector if you can if you can uh, create the right sort of uh, environment for a facebook or a google to flourish in your country you're going to do it yeah you'll succeed because you'll succeed i think that's that again goes back to the idea of government and its role. Its role isn't necessarily to dictate which markets will succeed or which sectors will. It's just identify the ones which are coming up and make sure yeah. you have the wherewithal to create the right environment for them to succeed. Yeah, exactly. And then the last one is about regulatory divergence. And I think this is the biggest unknown because there are just no laws. And even EU rules were pretty, pretty hardcore. I mean, and I say hardcore, I mean... You just they were just really impossible to understand yeah. and find, and that's part of the reasons that we we are leaving the EU. I think the Leave campaign championed bureaucracy from the EU that you pretty much had to get permission to do anything. And the EU does have some silly laws and principles. I mean, if you if you make pillows, for example, or a toy, for example, there's EU regulation on even that. So that goes down to that sort of granular level of detail. There's pretty much EU regulation for every sector, and if you do business. With the EU, you have to abide by those rules. Now, the interesting thing is, just because we leave the EU doesn't mean we have to abide by them. We, do, we don't have to abide by them. Of course we do. If you want to sell products in European countries, you're still going to have to abide by EU policy. So it doesn't help at all. Yeah, we just have to um, recreate the law in the UK Parliament instead. Whilst we're listening to um, an interview on LBC, and it was um, a lawyer, I wish I could remember her name, but she was talking about the feeling just within the law sector about the UK leaving. And she basically, in like, she didn't exactly say this, but she said that it's just fucked because the, <laughs> amount, the amount of work which lawyers are going to have to put in to recreate these laws, which no one really understands a lot of them yeah. in the first place as well. Yeah. And then they have to do it within like an accelerated time schedule. It's just not ideal. It's going to take years. And... I mean, I mean, lawyers must also be extremely happy. This sounds like, uh, like prime time legal fee land. Like, <laughs> it, it, it's a brilliant situation because it takes time. Uh, no one has a clue, which means it takes even longer, and you can pretty much bill by the hour and guarantee you have a job for the next decade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If anyone decides, decide what to do at university, do law. You're set. <laughs> Exactly, you are set. Even though, even though it's an industry that's in threat in the long term, you're you're set pretty much for the next five, ten years. Actually, I don't know about long term. I mean, to me, you're always going to need someone to mediate over human conflict. Oh, man, this 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 is a whole other podcast you and me are going to have. Uh, but like, long is that story the next short, episode? <laughs> that's probably the next podcast we're going to do. Um, long story short, I, I'm of the belief that if you have a job that is based on rules, is based on any level of automation, and is based on concepts that can be translated and written down and therefore be uh, fed into a system or stored in a system, 
It's under threat in the long-term future, for sure. True, but there's no... But law, I think the fundamental crux of that is that even our legal system isn't set in place. I mean, there are rules. So, so what you're talking about is, is, is a judge and jury, but the legal profession, you know, writing laws, setting laws, discovering what laws exist, that doesn't necessarily have to be fed by an individual. I you're think talking... so, because it's still down to um, interpretation and you still make those decisions based on the civic and then the criminal cases which would come over at a high level but yeah that's that's a that's a discussion for another day okay yeah no i i totally i totally agree let's let's talk about it some other time um uh, as a bit of context i've been reading a book at the moment about professions of the future and how it's all going to be impacted and the author was using the legal uh, industry as an example it's a it's a book by uh, richard suskin and daniel suskin it's amazing i I highly recommend you read it. it's called the future of professions read it before we do our podcast and then let's talk again (laughs) (laughs) okay cool so i think that those are most of the issues obviously international trade is really really important i think that goes without saying so i think i think to summarize i think the tech industry needs to guarantee certain things access to the single market highly unlikely to happen needs to ensure that they're going to continue to be able to attract talent to the UK, um, uh, not just talent in the forms of, you know, bright people, but also um, talent in terms of the services that are available in the UK. We don't want a sort of a brain drain, everyone going back to the EU and those services only being EU exclusive almost. Um, the government needs to make sure that it takes the opportunity to set up the technology industry and sector for success, um, especially the digital industry. Uh, digital industry contributes of you know things like data centers we've talked about but also advertising media all these things happen in the digital space and those need to be preserved Um, and then this idea of a digital single market is actually really important Uh, i can't i can't stress it enough it needs to happen because if it doesn't happen a simple theory that's been making technology companies work and succeed for decades is going to absolutely destroy the uk because if you're not part of the network, you can't benefit from the network. And if you can't benefit from the network, you're not going to succeed. Do you um, personally think in, say, 10, 15 years that London's current status as a great city for startups to begin their operations and for technology companies to flourish, do you think that will be lost to an extent? So it can go one of two ways, you see. Just because we're not in the EU doesn't mean London can't be a big startup hub. It just means the government has to make a pretty big concession. One of those concessions might be a massive, massive tax relief for startups, technology startups in the UK, which would only make the likes of Google and Apple extremely happy given how much heat they get for not paying taxes in the UK. (laughs) (laughs) That could just legitimize their whole operation, just wholesale, move their headquarters to London to take advantage of that simple fact. That wouldn't be good for Ireland. What would be great is um, what would be great is then that would keep lots of people employed. Um, and in fact, the funny thing you mentioned about Ireland, a lots of startups have already suggested moving to London if um, the EU uh, the Brexit basically happens, because there is more benefit for them in London as a as a data and technology hub than there is in Ireland and as being part of the EU. So that's going to be really, really interesting. I know. I would have thought it was the other way around. I thought more yeah. companies would want to go to Ireland. But actually, there's there's good examples of the opposite happening. And I think that's another interesting thing worth researching and digging into. And even going um, into the um tax tax haven point, like Philip Hammond floated that idea out as well. 
the exactly. corporation tax would probably be lowered to attract more firms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, this these all has its benefit because ultimately what then happens is more people get jobs. Um, there's probably more GDP in the country, more propensity to spend. We buy goods and services into the UK. Those goods and services create new economies for themselves. We start doing other types of exports. I think professional services will always be one of the UK's strongest skill sets. So you can always export those very easily because we don't just export them to the UK. We export them globally already. So we already have a really good... Uh, sort of pedigree for doing that kind of export very very easily exactly okay so you know i think that's it i think we've been going for some time um, yeah. uh, i think we covered all the bases on that topic as well it's probably a lot of stuff we missed out i think there's a lot of unknowns <laughs> so i mean i think it's, just... it's a type of topic where you can get yourself caught in a hole like you could talk about a day about brexit i mean we, we've done it before <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah we got nowhere <laughs> we, we got, did get nowhere we got after like four hours and we were like we've actually achieved nothing <laughs> we've achieved nothing exactly exactly so okay let me let me round up the show then um you've been listening to a decade apart we're two brothers who love politics and tech you can find us on decadeapart.com uh all the show notes are there uh the show notes for this episode can be found at decadeapart.com forward slash four you can find us on twitter a decade apart pod you can also find each of our profiles there and follow us tweet us give us some feedback let us know what you think or hate about the show we're ready for trolls i'm, I'm literally calvin i am begging for trolls, I know this is a bold for trolls. <laughs> <laughs> literally begging for confrontation exactly because when we have trolls we know we've made it big time when someone cares <laughs> enough to troll us that's when we know we've hit critical mass so as much of as much of a pain it might be, trollage is a major indicator for reach. It is. It really is. I guess <laughs> if if anyone wants to take a shot, we invite them to and see what yeah, happens. We'll see what happens. Oh god, here we go. Here we go. Um, we've only had one so far. It's okay. It's okay. We've had so, a troll. We've had a troll. We've had a troll. I think it was a spammy troll, but it's oh, fine. I got, what they I, said. It's, a, it's a direct message. Um, oh, and it's a long story. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you oh, later. I want to. I want to see this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get mad. <laughs> Maybe I'll keep you away from it. Um, but yes, no, that's been the show. It's been really, really great. Um, Calvin, I'll see you. I see you in a week's time. Yeah, see you later, mate. Good talking. Okay, cool. Hey, it's Tim here. You've made the after show section of the podcast. Essentially, the after show is essentially the area of the podcast where we add in all the content that we couldn't include in the original show. Uh, from time to time, we have to take out sections or maybe I rant on too much about something. Uh, we basically take those bits out and we put them all in at the end. Uh, think of it as a special reward for making it this far into the podcast and listening in. We're never going to mention it in the follow-up. We're never going to mention it in the podcast. So the only way you know about this section is if you make it to the end of the show. Enjoy. All right, you're still there. Yeah, still there. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, we had a troll. I got, I got, I got a message. I deleted it straight away. But basically, someone messaged going, "Oh, you punk ass, this, this, that. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about." It's, it's from the oh. whole uh, Trump episode, mate. Oh, that Trump. <laughs> <laughs> don't oh, swear yeah. too hard, mate. I might have to bleep that out. <laughs> <laughs> it really annoys you, doesn't it? <laughs> Just got full on triggered. <laughs> I knew that would trigger you. It's you know, it's not even, it's not even Trump. Just people just don't just calmly engage with it. If you disagree with it, do so in a calm manner. Like 
<laughs> you can hardly talk. <laughs> I'm still angry. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah, no, it's funny. It's funny. We had trolls. We had trolls. It was good. Um, how have you been today, mate? Not bad, uh, mate. It's WrestleMania. <laughs> I know, I was gonna say, this is, this is literally. Fucking WrestleMania. <laughs> I got the, um, I got the WWE Network two days ago just so I could have it today. And I got it in a deal where I have it for six months for the price of one month. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. I just, nice. um, I don't know how I'm gonna do it because it starts at midnight and apparently it's gonna be six hours. Mate, you need to grab a nap now. Yeah, I need to... I do. Go have a nap now and wake up at midnight so you can carry on. No, here's the thing, because 2015 general election, I stayed up all night up until six when the result got, like, finalised. Yeah. And I was fine. Like, I went to bed for, like, two hours and just got on with the next day. So I think I may just, like, adopt a zombie persona for a bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Get some... You, you know the main event will be last, so... Yeah, well, I don't know what the main event will be. Or like, have a nap at the beginning. <laughs> okay. Have a nap for two hours and wake up at three o'clock. That's true. Okay. Alarm. So, people who you remember, you'll laugh at this as well. So, try and guess who's at this WrestleMania. A Batista or something. No, not Batista. Um, as main event? No, just appearing in matches. But good matches. Oh, I don't know who. Um, just go through names. Batista's one. Okay, Stone Cold Steve Austin. No. Uh, Randy Orton. Yes. Edge. No. Okay, uh, Hulk Hogan. Oh, no, maybe. Undertaker. Yes. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, Mankind. No. Actually, yes, Yes, but not wrestling. Uh, well, who's the guy who's oh, at Yes Man? Um, Daniel Bryan, no. Daniel Bryan. Um, actually, yes, but not wrestling. Okay. Uh, Steve McMahon. Oh, it's Shane McMahon. Ah, okay, that's close enough. Shane McMahon. Yeah, Shane McMahon, oh, yeah. My, my WWE knowledge is coming <laughs> out. Um, who else? Uh, let's think, let's think, let's think. Who's my favourite one? Oh, Rey Mysterio. No. Ah, oh, no. Oh, mate, <laughs> you, missed, you missed out the biggest one. Who? Do you remember SmackDown vs. Raw, 2006? Yeah. Who else was on the cover besides Batista? No, but he's there as well. John Cena. You can't see me. (laughs) Yes. John Cena. The time is up. My time is now. You can't see me. The time is now. That's my favourite song at the moment. (laughs) The bass bass is so much. As I go. I play that in the car with driving. <laughs> That's brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant. Oh my god, John Cena! You just you just rekindled moments of uh, well, my teenagehood, your childhood. <laughs> oh god, all the toys. Oh mate, mate, all the toys that are over the fence. All the, yeah, all the toys <laughs> which I don't have anymore. Because <laughs> you threw them over the fence in reenacted wrestling matches. Cause, cause I, love I was, it. I was like, I want to reenact it, but like take it up another level. I guess yeah. that that just means like killing the toys. Do you remember? Do you remember when I had no use for this metal bin, and you were like, you looked at it, and you, all, all that was running, <laughs> all that was running through your head. I was like, steel cage, steel cage, steel cage, steel cage. 
You didn't waste a second. You went downstairs, put your toys upstairs. Next thing I heard was... So they have the elimination chamber. And I remember it was when you were in my current room and it was the um, big double metal bed. Yeah. And the metal meshing at the bottom drawer resembled like the floor of of an elimination chamber. Okay. So I just remember one night, and then like, you were working, but in my head, I was like, he's working, but it's not important work, so I can come in. (laughs) Did the classic thing of like, where I came in, I did knock on the door. You just busted through the (laughs) door with your wrestling match. The first three, I was like, hi. I just played in the corner with my toys. And you were like... You were like, I'm trying to work it while I'm like (laughs) smashing plastic with metal. Oh my lord. Hilarious, mate. Hilarious. I'm actually really excited for tonight. What's the main event? Who's the the main event? It will be... It could be Brock Lesnar Goldberg. Oh, what? Brock Lesnar (laughs) Goldberg? (laughs) 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 They're like two... Yes. Man, I would, that's like telling me that Stone Cold Steve Austin was taking on The Rock or something. Again, yeah. <laughs> the same oh match from um, 13 Goldberg. years ago. The Goldberg. Goldberg, the guy who dresses in a gold suit. No, oh, that's Gold Dust. Oh, Gold Dust. So Goldberg is a new character, right? No, Goldberg is someone from like that time ago, like 1990s when you, when you watched. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. That's, that's still old. He was... um the person who had like an undefeated streak and won like 113 matches or something Jeez. stupid and then brock lesnar's obviously he's not as old but he's old yeah old yeah, but um yeah. the funny thing is they were both in the main event for wrestlemania 20 okay and that was in 2004 okay <laughs> fast forward to 2017 absolutely crazy Gold- goldberg somehow has the title and it's him versus brock lesnar <laughs> again absolutely crazy ah oh, man that's really good mate you're gonna have to i'm gonna let you go in a second because you need to prep this is a serious event the, the, the four hours before wrestlemania you need to sort out your shit because your day tomorrow is going to be completely ko'd because of this i know so, I, I need i need to work as well guys like part of me was thinking okay i'll just <laughs> go to sleep i'll watch like the first hour yeah. And then watch the rest of it the next day. Yeah. But then I was like, that pretty much means I have to like just shut myself off everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. E- exactly. Even even Sky News, because Sky News was reporting WrestleMania last year and I was like, Yeah, you kidding me. Yeah, exactly. Spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. They gotta do it. Mate, they're they're in with the with the with the new crowd nowadays. I, yeah. I see really strange things making it Sky News. <laughs> uh, that's, that's funny. That should be our dream, make a Sky News. Exactly, exactly. Okay, let's uh, let's wrap it up. Um, I'll, I'll chat to you in a bit. We're recording next week, yeah? Yeah, recording next week. Wait, how's your um, how's your day been, okay. quickly? Yeah, it's cool. It's funny. You know, an hour before this podcast, um, the car I'm currently sitting in was on two jacks while I was changing tires. Changing tires. <laughs> <laughs> I was changing oh, the tires. Man. I was moving the tires from the back of the car to the front because my front tires are really worn out. So I moved them uh, to the back uh, for the for the last I don't know uh, thousand miles they can do. And I've moved the ones at the back, which are brand new, to the front, so those can those can those can run for a bit. I need to change those tires in general, but I just wanted to postpone it by a month. So I moved yeah. them to the back. 
Um, it's really hard work, mate. Literally, I think I expended all my weekend muscle on on that one task. You know how hard it is. Yeah, remember when um I tried to take my tire off and just you tried, couldn't. you failed miserably. <laughs> yeah. I wish I was there. I would have helped you out, man. No, they, I'm glad that I couldn't do it because if I did, my car still would have failed the MOT test. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. I put in the spare tire. Exactly, exactly. Now it's all good. It's all good. Uh, no, I've been good. I've spent most of the day just fixing all sorts of things at home. Uh, DIY, the car. Took Toby out to a park. Uh, full of it. He has his own uh, Instagram stories now. I stopped doing Instagram stories on my feed and now they're on his. So, go on his, um, quarter. Yeah, if you're on Instagram, uh, go to toby.the.visla. Visla spelled V-I-Z-S-L-A. Uh, that's my dog. That's Toby. He's amazing. The most adorable dog, but fuck me, he's strong. <laughs> Like, dude, you need to stop swearing so much. I know. <laughs> After this episode, I have, I'm seriously considering I need to add in bleepers. Because I realise, I realise for the last three episodes... Wait, how many, how many times did I swear last episode? I don't think I swore last episode. You didn't, but you swore one or two times and it was easier for me just to mark the episode as explicit rather than find them and, and edit them. Um, but this time round, man, I'm, I'm seriously considering putting in a bleeper. Oh, no. <laughs> oh god it's funny it's funny it's Believe okay because the 90s I've marked like the show is explicit content i.e we will swear from time to time last year was a bit ridiculous at some point but i mean yes. My, yes. my 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 friend james was just like mate you need to actually just like tone it down because I, I wasn't i was <laughs> i wasn't swearing in inappropriate scenarios but it was just like everyday scenarios where I was swearing and it's just like, there's just no need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all good. I'll maybe cut this whole conversation out of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> just um, for you. You've, you've got this podcast on LinkedIn, so maybe I'll, I'll just, I'll gauge what's suitable for the, for, I'll gauge what's suitable for, for. To that, put in the, um, put in the bleep thing over the Trump comment because I'll make it better because there's a bit of mystery over there as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll do that. Don't worry. I, I've already, I already know when I'm going to put bleepers. Even in the men's show, there's a couple coming in. Oh. <laughs> episode five, mate. We're, can you believe we're in the fifth episode? Fuck fifth me. episode, yeah. We've got yeah. like, um, a hundred and so legit downloads. Yeah. For last exactly. one. Exactly. So the thing is, the downloads are going to trickle. Um, what we're not good at at the moment is uh, nailing all the post-show stuff. We're so busy recording them that we don't have time to do like things. So what I want to do is get to a point where you have access to Twitter, I have access to Twitter, and if we've got a few minutes, I want you to add... There's a scheduler for Twitter that you can add Twitter schedules to and just basically go in and just tweet random people saying if you had this section of the podcast with a link to that specific section... Okay. Or uh, retweet articles that relate to topics that we're talking about, or retweet things that are in our show notes, and so on and so forth. So yeah, yeah, it's a bit more proactive. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, so we'll we'll do that anyway. Uh, we're starting the weekly recording schedule as well now, so we'll see how it yeah. goes. All right, sweet mate. I'll speak to you later. Wicked. All right, take it easy, mate. Bye. All right, bye.